Chapter 9 of the Shunzi, The Rule of a True King. We have this big paragraph at the beginning that starts, let us inquire into how to conduct the government. And so this is essentially a lecture on what a king needs to do to fundamentally set up his government. And so if you are somebody else who is also high ranking in the world of political leadership, like a prime minister, this is also something that you would look into. And this first paragraph outlines all of the uh, tasks that need to be done. So it's, it's actually worth looking at this sentence by sentence. The first priority here is to promote the worthy and the capable without waiting for them to rise through the ranks. And the converse of that is to dismiss the unfit and incapable without waiting a single moment. In other words, make sure that position and rank do match the person's ability and virtue. And those are the two things we look at, your ability and your virtue. It does no good if we have somebody who is very intelligent and clever and knowledgeable, but he's unvirtuous. And so therefore he finds ways to obtain more power, but essentially cheat the people. You also need people who are not only virtuous, but are capable if you're going to put them into positions of decision-making. You can always elevate the virtuous, even though they are not very capable in two ways. One, you simply provide a high rank and that allows them to be models for the common people to follow in their own personal behavior. You can also, if they have intellectual capacity, you can also put them in a position where they can learn and then later on, they can have that influence and make decisions for the rest of society. Let's look at the next idea here. Execute those who incite others to bad deeds without waiting to teach them. Why this? This kind of goes against our modern day notions that people are bad simply because they don't know any better. This is not talking about the merely ignorant, however. This is talking about people who propose and advocate for a philosophy or a Tao, a way of life, that is full of perversity. So there are women out there, because they have already messed up their own lives, they encourage other women to be promiscuous, to sleep around, to break up at minor problems in their relationships and those people you cannot actually fix through education you cannot show them the error of their ways because they have already lived a life that should have shown them through direct experience that what they are doing is wrong and so the reason that they advocate for immorality is not because they are intellectually ignorant but rather because of some kind of perversion in their very hearts 
that goes beyond something that can be they can be verbally instructed out of. And that's why they incite other people to do bad th deeds. We're not talking about people who do bad th deeds when nobody's looking and have some sense of shame or embarrassment about it. We're talking about people who are so bad that they are actually going out to encourage up other people to be bad. So I believe that's why Shunzi says execute those who incite others to doing evil without waiting to teach these people. The next part is transform the ordinary people without waiting for government controls. In other words, don't um, don't rely on the law and punishments in order to transform the ordinary people, the, the regular people out there. Because in Confucian philosophy, you can use indirect methods of transforming the people without punishing anybody, without coercing people, by means of modeling your virtue, by using ritual, by reforming the culture, by generating and creating and disseminating good music, and through other avenues of art, such as fiction, poetry, etc. And that's how you transform the ordinary people without using laws to punish them, to drag them to jail if they drink too much, or if they are um, thieves, for example. Another way of transforming ordinary people, especially in the case of thieves, is to ensure that the, the economy is functioning healthily, that you're not overtaxing, that people have opportunities to have jobs or other means of supporting themselves financially, economically, materialistically. The next part here is related, of course, if social divisions are not yet set, then control, take control of illuminating the proper bonds. The bonds are probably referencing um, the natural relations that all people have. So the three fundamental bonds would be the father-son or parent-child relation, which of course everybody has because we are born, not manifested into the world. And then the second one is, um, this was something that was taken for granted back in the day, husband-wife. I know these days it's so difficult because the social chaos has gotten so bad that a lot of people don't even end up getting married, even though they want to. Uh, but this is not so much of a problem back then, so this would be one of the fundamental relations. And then the relation between subject and lord was another one, because you're born into a country and you're a member of that country. And so if you think of any relation of a person to his government, this is still different from a lord and subject. The lord and subject uh, relation is is one of personal loyalty, uh, as opposed to, say, in contrast to um, one between, say, a citizen and the government, because that's more of a person to an entity. And so you don't have the capacity for that personal loyalty.
but that's uh, that's a discussion for another time. Okay, so you don't need to uh, wait for government controls. You can take control of eliminating the proper bonds, and this will create natural social divisions. In the next page, we're going to talk about the importance of this. Okay, the next part here is that um, those who can follow ritual and E should be given high status, prime minister, gentry, grand ministers, but those who cannot should be assigned the status of commoners. Even if they descend from dukes, kings, etc., high status persons. In other words, this kind of status is not to be inherited. Notice that when we're talking about prime minister, gentry, or grand ministers, these are people who make decisions that is different from kings, dukes, because kings and dukes and counts and so forth, those are ranks. Those we don't see Shinzo specifically saying that should not be inherited. So I want to make that clear because those can be separable. You can have a prime minister position, but not necessarily being, be a duke or a count, etc. Those are actually different ladders of hierarchy. Now, there are those engaging in vile works, vile teachings, doctrines, works, and skills. And for those among the people who are rebellious and perverse, give them an occupation and teach them and take a while to wait for them. Okay. So this is a, this is different from the previous part here where we're executing those who incite others to do bad deeds without waiting to teach them. So here, even if there are teachers of what he calls vile teachings, you have to educate them and still wait for them. Now, this is different from those who personally incite other people to do evil acts because the teaching is more theoretical. The acts are more based on behavior. So if you look at back at chapter 6, lines 109, 115, the, um, Shunza does describe what vile refers to, and that's anything that goes away the, the Tao of the former kings, the way of the former kings, uh, essentially Confucianism. So a lot of people teach things and believe things that are contrary to the Confucian Tao because they are ignorant. Okay, that's different from people who go around saying you should, uh, you know, you should fight your father or something. Okay, that's a different kind of situation. That has to do with ignorance. All right, you can encourage them with accolades and rewards and discipline with punishments and penalties. So Confucianism, even though you're relying on cultural um, works to transform the people, you can still also simultaneously have laws and rewards and punishments.
Notice that today we have plenty of laws to punish, but we essentially do not reward anybody for anything. Or if they are rewards, they're very paltry in nature, maybe not even uh, something we can really recognize as rewards. For example, some countries give some tax benefits for having children. It's not really quite a reward um, because it's indistinguishable from losing your job and getting some sort of unemployment. So in any case, it's very clear that our punishments are far more drastic and numerous than our rewards. Um, then we have a lot of nurturing. If they do not, if they're not secure in their occupations and nurture them, if they're not, um, if they, on the other hand, do not decide to work, then you can abandon them. We have this line about the five types of handicapped people should be received by the spirit and nurtured, but work to work according to the talents. We can interpret this in many different ways, but um, one example is back then people who were blind would become musicians. And that would make sense because without your brain uh, needing to take up space for visual discernment, uh, you can take that, literally that brain, that chunk of brain, and actually use that for um, being a better listener, being more careful about the audio dimension of experience. Uh, and that's why if you look at brain scans and so forth, we have a reflection there of people, um, that part that's responsible for the visual uh, element of the human experience shrinks and the area of the brain that's responsible for other things increases. Okay, so um, that would be one example of what I meant back then. Today we have, of course, many more opportunities to take about, talk about, you know, limitations of individuals and how to put that to use, right? Cover all of them without omissions. Um, then once the times are righteous and based on rent, those who in their talents and conduct go against those righteous times should die without pardon, he says. This is called heavenly virtue, the government of a true king. So heavenly virtue refers to virtue that is befitting somebody who can be the son of heaven. In other words, the most virtuous and capable person in the world at the, at, of his generation and can lead the people towards the proper ways. Okay. Now the rest of the chapter basically unfolds this first paragraph, which works as sort of an abstract for this chapter nine, the rule of a true king. And again, this is sort of a lecture that one could imagine being given to somebody who is a crown prince on his way to ruling a whole country. So the next part here on the great division to be made in judging government affairs, um, using Li, you treat those who come bearing goodness well, and you punish those who come bearing badness, then what is right and what is wrong will not be confused, and the worthy and unworthy will not be jumbled up. It's important to use ritual because this is done in a way that is artful and therefore authoritative and, is, and ultimately charismatic. 
okay as opposed to somebody who does this without ritual that person can come off to be a thug or described as uh, you know a petty dictator or a tyrant okay um, if the worthy and the unworthy are not jumbled up then heroes and outstanding men will come to your country and if what is right and what is wrong are not confused then the state and the family will be ordered and this will lead for everything to come naturally such as your orders being carried out for your reputation to be positive Shenzhen emphasizes that you, you need to be strict and harsh um, if when you're judging affairs and you should not be easygoing and accommodating um, and show bias or fondness for those. In other words, you should be objective. That's basically what he's saying here. You should be objective and you should be out in the open. You should not be secretive of plotting um, and then this will ensure that people will be in the right place and that vile teachings will not come and people will work uh, enthusiastically. And so what he says is you should follow a model and you should have discussions over it and you should also be open-minded so that there is no secrecy and no goodness left undone. And in cases where there is no model, you handle problems or, or opportunities according to their proper category. What does that mean? Models give you something to follow that's pretty detailed, that's pretty concrete. You know, so if, if there's a model, for example, on how to solve a particular physics problem or a math problem, even the foolish or even the people who are untalented at math can figure this out, right? How to solve a, a different problem that's the same. So in that case, there's a proper model and you follow it. You know, identify that this is a proper model and then you imitate it. It's not too difficult. However, once we get out of a very standard physics problem or math problem, then we have to do a bit more thinking. In the world of moral philosophy, and politics is a subset of moral philosophy, in this world, we need to handle them according to the proper category. So an example of that is, okay, this kind of person is a noble kind of person, is a person of high virtue, given what he has done. So even though there's not a proper model for taking, say, a crab fisherman and making him into a scholar official because I have categorized him as a virtuous and capable person I'm going to put him in that position okay that would be something that there's no model for that but if you identify the proper category you can figure it out with a little bit of thinking All right, and then Shenzhen ends this with saying, order is born from the gentleman, chaos is born from the petty man. This saying expresses what I mean. Okay, because the, the order comes from the Zhengzi, he is using Ren and Yi and Li 
to create order. Chaos is born for the petty man. He doesn't have the correct understanding. And so even though he makes decisions and actions, it doesn't amount to anything good. All right. This next part, uh, paragraph is important. He's talking about the importance of un inequality. Okay. And this is very important for us to think about today because we're all in a democratic society supposed to honor equality. We're all supposed to pretend we're the same. And this is a sure key to chaos of every type, cultural chaos and economic chaos. We've already seen this erupt in economic chaos in the form of communism, because this is where we're pretending everybody's equal in their ability to work hard and make sensible financial decisions. But in a democracy, we pretend everybody's equal in their ability to think politically and make political decisions. And so we have political problems and cultural problems because that's what politics and governing influence, as well as, of course, economic problems eventually. So Shunzi says, if the divisions of goods are all even, they cannot be made amply enough. That's like the situation in communism. Now let's look at the second sentence here, 60, uh, what is it, 67. If people's authority are all equal, they cannot be unified. In other words, there's always bickering. And if you notice in democracies, there's always bickering over kind of small matters. People are not really capable of unifying towards really important things like fixing the economy, fixing the housing crisis, uh, you know, fixing the population problem, fixing the problems that exist in families where there are far too many divorces or people don't even get married to begin with and everybody's afraid to have children. We don't fix the big problems. We get caught up in relatively smaller things. I'm not saying they're not important. They are important, but we get we lose sight of the biggest problems to bicker over smaller issues. If all the masses are equal in status, they cannot be put to use. Why? Because differentiating status tells us what we should work on. Some people should have higher status because they have greater ability. Other people they don't have that kind of ability and so they should do more common work okay so shinza says the former kings hated chaos and so they established li ritual and e righteousness in order to divide up mankind so as to cause a ranking of poor and rich and noble and base so they may take charge of them this is a basis for nourishing all under heaven. The, do the documents say total equality is not order. Total equality is chaos. You need some degree of hierarchy. Now, this does not mean that you can treat certain people without any dignity whatsoever just because of their status. So we have an explanation in other parts that say things like treat the lowly, the low status people with generosity. You're not supposed to exploit and abuse them. So if you want everybody to do well under heaven, you need to institute order. You need to institute hierarchy. You cannot just treat everybody equal. Then all of the goods, all of the resources will be used up. People will fight against each other constantly and you'll only have violence and starvation.
So in the next paragraph, we even have this line, when the common people are uneasy with the government, then nothing works better than treating them gener generously. Pick out those who are worthy and good, elevate those who are dedicated and respectful, promote those who are filial and act as good younger brothers. Take in those who are orphaned and widowed, assist those who are poor in dire straits. Uh, line 101 talks about govern, governing even handily and showing concern for the people, exalting ritual and respecting well-bred men, then later venerating the worthy and employing the capable. These are the three regulations um, Shunzi identifies as, and then he says everything will be, every act afterwards will happen appropriately and fittingly. Okay, so these are the fundamental things. You need to govern uh, objectively, don't favor certain people, and con show concern for the people. So this is the general idea of benevolence. The second is to exalt ritual and thereby respect good people, virtuous people. The third has to do with venerating the worthy and employing the capable. In other words, choosing your government's leaders well. So these are the three um, roots for the rest of the government functioning correctly. Benevolence, ritual, and putting people in higher positions who are worthy and capable. Let's go ahead and look at the next page, line 139. He who seeks to become a true king seizes upon the right people. He who seeks to become a hegemon seizes upon good relations. He who seeks to rule by brute strength seizes upon territory. Okay, so these are different strategies to become true kings versus hegemon versus those who are more of a tyrant type. A true king, let's talk about the difference, let's remind ourselves of the difference. The true king rules by Li and Yi, righteousness, justice, and ritual, and he comes out of virtue, right? So he rules out of Ren. And so living in the, under the rule of a true king, your life is harmonious, it's not stressful, it's not full of anxiety, you feel secure, and you get along with people around you, including your family, including your community. And naturally, you, it's easy, it's much easy to, or it's easier to become virtuous compared to living in other reigns. The hegemon, on the other hand, he is capable of bringing upon out, uh, bringing upon a kind of order that allows for physical stability and he is typically victorious in any kind of um, martial endeavor, aka war. Okay, so good relations allow for alliance to be formed in which the hegemon can lead. On the other hand, the true king seizes upon the right people who are virtuous and wise and capable and those institute a much greater society than the hegemon could.
So we have more of a description of the hegemon in, in the next couple of pages. Um, in line 201, sorry, 202, the true king is not so, his rent towers over the world, his E towers over the world, his awe-inspiring authority towers over the world. And so because of his ren, people have affection for him. Because of his E, people honor him. And because he's awe-inspiring, people do not want to oppose him. So Li and E are the things that are infused into every move of his. That's line 216. Um, in terms of judgments, he says that the true king on, does not honor those without virtue, does not give office to those who do, don't have the ability, and does not reward those who do not have meritorious accomplishment, and does not punish those who do not have criminal trespass. So everything is is fairly given out. He might not be able to give everybody who's worthy a position, but among those who have position, they are all worthy. This is very important because you don't want the people to, um, you don't want to be in a situation where people recognize that somebody is up there, but he doesn't deserve to be. That's very discouraging to us common people. You know, to see somebody, he has all this wealth or power, and he's just an awful person. That's very discouraging. And people start to give up on life because of that. What's the point? The world isn't just. The society isn't just. Why should I work hard? Why should I be honest? So you don't want these people to have all this money in your society and not even be able to have a proper family life. And you know who these people are. Um, that's why in the next page on 241, he says, as a result, the common people all understand that if they do good deeds among their family, they'll, they, will be uh, they will be rewarded by the court, the king's court. And if they do bad deeds in secret, then they will suffer punishment out in the open. This is called having fixed judgments. These are the judgments of a true king. The next paragraph here on 246 starts to talk a little bit about the economy, which is pretty interesting. He says... A few things here. Um, he only takes one tenth of the produce from the fields. Uh, think about the the taxes that you pay. There's a lot of them. If you just add them all up, you know your sales tax, your income tax, your property tax. You're getting taxed left and right. The rule of a true king: his taxes are light. Okay. Um, the amount of passes and markets are overseen, but no fees are collected. Okay. So this seems to be there seems to be no sales tax here. Oh, pretty nice. Um, the exploitation of mountain forests and dam marshes are, is not taxed, but prohibited in certain seasons. Uh, why? Because the idea here is that you're looking out for natural resources so that you're not over-exploiting them. Um, and this makes sense for a lot of modern issues, such as you don't want to um, you know, use too much oil. You don't want to over-exploit your land by building long roads and highways. And so that people have to constantly use oil to just get around to work. Um, 
I think, you know, certain places are better than that than others. Um, if you look at America, there's there's too much of a reliance on oil for everyday travel, you know, because we overexploit the land. Okay. Um, now he measures up the quality of the land and adjusts his government policies accordingly. Okay. In other words, this is sort of like grid, um, graduated taxation. You know, if you occupy land, if you farm land that's very fertile, produces a lot, then you should expect to pay more objectively in absolute terms compared to somebody who has relatively infertile land. So for example, 10% um, back then is sort of an estimate, you know, like maybe 500 bushels or something for people with good land. But for people with really poor land, maybe it's only 50 bushels. Okay, so how do you apply that today? Well, the idea of a progressive tax maybe is not really a bad idea, but you're still aiming for something along the lines of one-tenth, unless somebody just happens to be a lot more money than that typical person. Okay. This statement here in line 254, he causes resources, goods, and grain to circulate without delays and causes each to move to its appropriate place so that the region within the four seas becomes like a single family. In other words, this is a very robust and healthy economy where people are trading goods from one end of the country to the other. And we even have in the line above, he reckons upon the distance of the route, route and requires contributions accordingly. This seems to be like a tariff where, you know, somebody's coming from a great distance away and bringing goods here. There is a contribution that is required and that kind of functions as sort of a tariff. Okay. So everybody is provided sufficiently for with an abundance of the myriad goods. If you live in the forest, you still get fish. If you lived in the, around the sea, you still get to eat grain. Okay, um, let's go to the next part here. Uh, we have more emphasis on ritual and E as the beginning of order. Now the Junza is the beginning of ritual and E. That's line 292. And then 295 says, thus heaven and earth give birth to the, general, to the Junza, and the Junza brings order to heaven and earth. The Junza is a third partner to heaven and earth, a supervisor for the myriad things, and mother to the father to the people. So here the Junza is, is really talking about the virtuous king, a king who is a lord who is trying to be virtuous. Okay. Above, there would be, if there were no Junza, then heaven and earth would not be properly ordered. Oh, and before that, he says, um, you know, he is father, mother and father to the people. In other words, society forms a kind of family, extended family relation. And so like a father to the people, the, the Lord should behave in a way that is a role model to his subjects, just like a father to role model to his children. And furthermore, he should love the people like his own children. He should take care of them and nurture them as, their, as his own children and want them to be more virtuous, like a good father. 
And in our democratic society, we don't look for these things because we, we want to elect an equal. We want to elect a person who is like us, not necessarily a role model, not necessarily somebody who can make us feel ashamed of ourselves. And that's unfortunate because we don't get good leaders that way, that way. We just get leaders who say pleasing things to the ears of the voters, people who are going to flattering the people. Yes, we can. Or any other kind of, you know, any kind of, any other kind of thing that rouses up the people, but doesn't have virtuous substance to it. Okay. Um, so if there were no if there were no jinza, if there are no jinzas as lords, then heaven and earth would not be properly ordered, and Li and Yi would not be uh, without with a unifying guide. In other words, ritual and righteousness are not self-employing things. They do not just work on their own. You need human beings to actually implement them. So if your leader does not do that, it's not going to happen. In other words. And heaven and earth are not properly ordered. Earth has all the natural resources. Heaven includes anything that um, happens invisibly. You know, in other words, we might not be able to touch it, but there are some subtle effects of good music, right? That is how we can understand um, how heaven can be properly ordered. To Shunza, heaven is not like god or gods it does not exercise will it simply works in a in a kind of indirect way that's not really something that we can see physically or touch physically so he says humans inborn dispositions come from heaven in other words we're born with the ability to feel happy to feel sad to hurt when we feel pain Right? If, if we're hit with something, we feel pain. That's not something we had to work on. That is, so it's assigned to being one of the accomplishments or works of heaven. Okay. Um, so the Junza is somebody who is part of the part of this triad with heaven and earth. So if you don't have the Jinza, there would be no lords and teachers, and there would be no fathers and sons behaving as fathers and sons. And this situation is utmost chaos. On the other hand, when the positions of lord and minister, father, son, older brother, younger brother, husband, and wife, all these fundamental relationships begin and end and begin and end and again. In other words, they have the proper order and the proper manifestation, people are acting as good wives, as good husbands, as good sons, as good brothers, as good siblings, and so forth. When they are part of the same order with heaven and earth, this is called the great root. In other words, the great root of everything else in society. For anything else in life anything else including good communities including good music good culture good economies 
and so forth. Because these relationships cover everything. The Lord and minister, of course, as well as these familial relationships. They cover everything. Okay. Um, and so, and he, he lists these various things that need to be ordered, including ennobling and degrading. In other words, promoting those who are worthy and demoting those who are unworthy. And so, this is how lords are lords and ministers are proper ministers and fathers are good fathers and sons are good sons, etc. All of this proceeds by the one standard to treat the farmer as a farmer, the officers as the officers, the craftsmen as craftsmen, the merchant as merchants, all proceed as this one standard. In other words, people have the roles and they earnestly fulfill these roles. And that's, that's what proper order is. That's what harmony is. So the farmer is not worrying about how to save, to advance a you know, financial portfolio. The official is not worried about where his money will come from. The son is behaving as a good son, the father is behaving as a good father, acting as a good father, and so forth. All right, there's this next line here, line 319. Human, have, human beings have chi and life and awareness, and moreover, they have e. This is very interesting. Okay, so chi is energy. So that's why water and fire have chi, but are without life. Right? Grasses and trees have life, but are without awareness. In other words, they have the capacity to die. They also have the capacity to grow. Birds and bees have awareness, but are without E. So they have awareness. They also have chi. Um, and they also have life, but they don't have a sense of righteousness. Human beings, however, have chi and life and awareness. And moreover, they have E. So the sense of morality is something that animals do not. And I think that's awfully clear. Animals do things out of instinct, out of feeling. They don't suppress their feeling in order to do the correct thing. So some dogs, when their owners die, they stay at their grave site. Other dogs will actually eat the body. Um, that is not because they're trying to abide by some sense of morality like oh i should be loyal to my owner or i shouldn't eat uh, my owner's dead body but um they're doing this out of feeling in other words instinct okay so he has a Shunza has a very good point here okay now he makes this interesting thing human beings are the weakest among all of the uh animals or not, I shouldn't say this because human beings, we don't necessarily want to say they are animals. But birds and beasts have much more physical prowess and ability than the human being. So oxen are stronger, horses are faster, birds can fly, etc. And yet human beings are able to form communities and thereby dominate nature in a way that animals cannot. 
Why? He says because of social divisions. Social divisions come out of E. Because E in Confucianism is not about abstract moral principles like never ever lie to anybody in the world, including, I don't know, Nazis who might be looking for people they're trying to persecute. But E in Confucianism has to do with relations. So you cannot call yourself an E person, but at the same time, be a bad friend, a bad spouse, and a bad parent, and a bad child to the parent, to your own parents. That doesn't make sense to say. Okay, a lot of people are out there who like to virtue signal with their politics, but they are terrible friends, terrible family members, and I'm not saying liberal or conservative or whatever, because we find this in all everywhere on the political map and they're just awful at these relationships these are not e people they're, these are not righteous people according to confucianism so e does not quite exactly mean righteous or justice because it has sort of an abstracted quality in western philosophy that's why i like to use e but um, of course sometimes it gets confused with li in terms of pronunciation. Um, so that's that's why sometimes I say the word righteousness. Okay. Because of the social division, you have order, you have hierarchy, you have leadership, people specialize, and therefore we can dominate over the rest of nature. Whereas animals simply contend against each other. Okay. So he says human life cannot be without community. And if they do form communities, but they don't have proper social divisions, they will struggle. We're arguably in a situation like that currently. We have sort of communities. We live in houses next to each other, in neighborhoods, in cities. But the hierarchy is not proper. We don't have proper social divisions. And so what do we see? We have struggles. We have struggles of neighbors against each other when it comes to things like noise and the appearance of lawns. We have conflict politically within the city. We have people who are homeless, people doing drugs on the street. We have people getting into fights, people attacking each other, robbing each other. This is all forms of struggle. This, of course, leads to chaos. If there is chaos, then they will eventually disband. In other words, the community will fall apart, even physically. And with this, there will be weakness. And the state of nature will be overcome by the animals and the elements. But more likely, we will be uh, torn apart or even conquered by political rivals, other countries, other people. And arguably, that's what's happening in um, many countries today where our lack of unity is being taken advantage of by rivals. Okay, so that's why he says you should not let go of ritual and E even for a moment because this is the best way to ensure communities with social divisions, with harmony, order, and the ability to be strong.
One of the lines later in the next paragraph says, the true Lord is one who is good at forming community. And of course, when we're talking about community, we're talking about the harmonious one. On the paragraph of 354, we have these regulations of the sage kings. Uh, this has to do with making sure proper activities happen at proper times. In other words, um, don't hunt. You know, there's like a hunting season, right, where all of the uh, deer have matured into adults and there's a, a time to not hunt because the whole population could go extinct in the area right so it's kind of the same idea here right so there's plenty of practical advice alongside abstract advice in this chapter uh the proper order for officials comes as well um and above that we have the spirit-like powers of intelligence that are broad and vast, yet work by the utmost restraint. What he's talking about there is that um, there's obvious activity, like, for example, a bunch of police officers show up to arrest a bunch of criminals. That's very obvious. But spirit-like powers of intelligence is that the way he talks about things or the timing of his, of his decisions those are more subtle things and they carry effects they carry consequences anyway but they're not so obvious it's not like policemen breaking down a door to arrest the criminals inside okay so the next paragraph again is talking about proper order for officials you have the director of these different things um, notice there's a work of a music master to cultivate poetry um, and artistic form, prohibit perverse music. What does that mean? It means there's music that's out there that is perverse. And if, you, if you've um, followed me in the Analyx lecture, you'll know that music can be perverse in a number of ways by its lyrics, by its beat, uh, and by its melody. Okay. And I've discussed that into depth there. And of course, this is also discussed in other lectures as well. Um, and so the music master is somebody who is good at music, but notice the first thing his, he's responsible for is to cultivate government regulations and orders. In other words, he's an official still. And so he should have a sense of Ren, E, and Li to guide himself to understand what is good music versus perverse music and perverse music is music that encourages evil feelings perverse feelings unvirtuous feelings so a lot of music out there especially rap is perverse music it encourages greed it encourages violence and encourages lust and it does it through a combination of tempo melody and lyrics so what do you do? How do you deal with that today? I would start by doing something like pro, getting rid of copyright protection. In other words, it'll make it it'll make it difficult for people to profit off of such perverse music. So you don't have to drag people into jail for making that kind of music, and you don't have to drag people into jail for listening to that kind of music. But what you do is you omit any kind of legal protection for profiting off of that music, like copyright. So if somebody steals a song, too bad, it's a perverse music, you can't sue him and make money off of it. So eventually over time, 
There's no profit incentive for this. And that's how you slowly get rid of perverse music without trying to ban it. And over time, people will just stop making that kind of music. You don't necessarily have to drag anybody into jail over this. And certainly, even though we don't have 100% um, blockage of this perverse kinds of music, we'll have a lot less of it, certainly. Uh, other interesting ones are the village master. He makes districts and neighborhoods harmonious, demarcates dwellings so they're not too close to each other, foster filial piety and good brotherly behavior so that people will be uh, peaceful and happy in their villages. If you have, if you're living in a neighborhood, you don't quite feel safe or you don't feel like you're getting along with your neighborhood, with your neighbors, this is actually the fault of the government. Don't forget that. Most neighbors and neighborhoods have these sorts of problems. It's because your government is a failure. I want to be very clear about this. You should be very dissatisfied. It's 100% the responsibility of government. This other part in line 1, 4, and 17, the work of hunchback shamans and lamefoot seers is to assess the in and the ain, to divine the omen's importance. Okay, this is very interesting because later on what we'll find is that um, Shunza does not believe in fortune telling at all. But he says you still do that because this is proper ritual. And we'll talk about this in a later chapter, but to to uh, explain it in a concise way, um, although perhaps a little inaccurate. Uh, essentially, he, he believes that um, even though it's not a very good way to actually predict the future, it probably is a good way to start to move past certain psychological blockages. Because if you didn't do something like pray before you make the decision or do some sort of fortune telling activity, you would probably be too anxious to actually make the decision and you would never actually act on time. So that's why this is important, he says. Um, well, I believe that's my interpretation at least. Well, we'll talk about this later. Um, another one here is the one 427, the director of justice. What does he do? Strike down false shows of virtue. This is a little, maybe the translation is a little off here. Um, I don't think that what this means is something like virtue signaling to strike that down. Um, this might mean something more like grandstanding, um, which is uh, a little different. But let's go look at the other ones first and then we'll, we'll kind of go back to it. Prohibit brutality, prevent licentiousness. This is you know, lustful behavior, eliminate perversity. This is um, boo-ren behavior. In other words, it goes against ren. Discipline with punishments so that violent and brutal people are transformed and vile, perverse people do not appear. Okay. So what does that false show of virtue mean? Um, what do I mean by grandstanding? Um, it means to make yourself look more virtuous than you really are, 
typically by promoting values that are not good, that are not proper. So, for example, you, you find somebody and he says, everybody should be equal and we shouldn't have any hierarchy. This would be a false show of virtue. And he's doing that in order to get support politically, maybe to even rebel against the proper government, which is built on righteousness. Okay. So that's a false, that's, that could be what is meant by a false show of virtue. But um, this is, you know, this, this, this is hard to understand what this um, originally means in the original uh, Chinese. Okay, then we've got the Grand Overseer in the next page. He uh, lays the grounds for government through education, assists straight to laws and standards. He measures people's accomplishments and thereby judges rewards and penalties for them. And so this is a very important position. Um, notice that the education is the first thing here. It's very important. The work of the Grand Duke is to judge rituals and music. Okay, here we go. This is very interesting. Uh, may correct his own personal conduct. He has to show virtue to everybody. He judges the rituals and music. He judges the music, morally speaking. And so he has a connection, of course, to the master of music. And he judges the rituals, though, specifically. The rituals need to be proper. So rituals need to symbolize beautifully and properly the right moral uh, connection. So my uh, this is a criticism that I've made before, but uh, something called the, the garter belt toss at weddings, that's perverse ritual. That's not um, good ritual because it goes contrary to the principle the E of the husband looking out and protecting the wife and keeping her um, keeping her sacred sound against other men. So if you're taking a piece of her underwear and tossing it to a bunch of single men, that's the opposite of it. Okay, so that should be prohibited. Um, make correct this personal conduct. Again, that's the, the virtue. Broaden the transformation, the transformative influence of teaching. In other words, Ensure that education works well to morally enlighten the people, to beautify the customs of the state. In other words, make sure overall, beyond just music and ritual, that culture in general is beautiful and moral and celebrates the best of what is found in humanity. So having good festivals at the correct time, celebrating the correct things. Um, back in those days, doing things like getting rid of human sacrifice, you know, um, that would be the kinds of things uh, that would, be, you know, be included in beautifying the customs of the state. Or, you know, making sure things like Christmas and, you know, uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day are not crass commercial opportunities, but really a time of peace and harmony that people are not made to work on these holidays and so forth. So something like, uh, what is it called? Black Friday after Thanksgiving? That's terrible. You know, that's not beautifying the customs of the state. That's degrading it. And so that kind of thing should be um, gotten rid of, should be punishable for stores to engage in. Finally, we get to the work of the Heavenly King. It's to make perfect his practice of the Tao and virtue. So he's working on himself. That's his very first duty. 
because he sets the role model for everybody, he needs to have that loyalty. He's only one man. He needs to choose everybody who needs to be loyal to him. And he needs to use his own virtue to judge other people, to choose who's worthy, who's trustable, who is wise and capable. So he's there to achieve a lofty and elevated state, to reach the utmost and proper form and good order, to unify the whole world and set aright even the smallest matter so that the whole world compliantly sides with them and submits to following his example. Okay, so this is what's very interesting is that historically the, the Chinese emperor, whatever that dynasty was, he is not directly, of course, in control of the world or even the neighboring countries like Korea and Vietnam. Instead, what he does is that he sets example of how to leave for his own countries and then the king of Korea or the king of Vietnam, etc. Um, they all look to him for example and then they correct themselves and their own countries and that's how you lead the whole world without directly taking it over. Nobody believes in Confucianism in one world government. That's not feasible. You have to destroy tons of culture in order to do that and you don't get that personal relationship between lord and minister when you are trying to govern seven billion people spread across seven different continents it's just a terrible idea to do it that way anyway okay so if government fairs are chaotic it's the fault of the grand overseer um, if the states and great clans lack the proper customs, it's the fault of the Grand Duke. The clans is a large family. Back in these days, um, there was real patriarchy, not this boogeyman version of patriarchy that feminists pretend exists so they can get more excessive demands. We're talking about real patriarchy where, you know, you have this extended family and a male is kind of acting as sort of the lord over this clan. Not everybody gets to live in this kind of situation with their family. And this is more for higher class uh, families. But um, that's why the great clans are included here. The king is, in a sense, the patriarch of patriarchs. And so he is father to all, act as in the fatherly role to all of these other people who are acting as a, a you know, grandfather or the patriarch to. Uh, to you, to your father, to your uncles and your cousins and so forth. And these clans actually have rules internally and they do punish their members internally as well. So your patriarch sets these rules and says, okay, you better go to sleep or be quiet at 8 p.m. And if you break that rule, then you get some sort of punishment, maybe more chores or something. Okay. Uh, let's go move on um, to the next page. The next page talks about Again, everything relates back to Ren and E and Li, okay? And the laws and standards are based off of Ren and E, and your choice of good and worthy men are based on whether they have Ren, E, Li, and character, okay? As a result of doing this, 
your reputation will become good and great. Your power will become also great. And worthy people will come to you. And people will be very loyal to you. In line 504, he says that the lord of a violent state, in other words, a tyrant, cannot be able to use much of his milita uh, military against him because he would have no point to come with. His peoples will actually love him instead. And so what we find is that the true king has great loyalty towards him among his own people and other people will want to follow him too. They don't want to fight against these people. So this is why, um, does this always work? No. And historically, in the last 200 years, we don't have this kind of instance. And there's two identifying factors here. One, racism. So if you, race has always been used for political purposes to get one group of people to fight another. And so what you can do is you can say, oh, these, these people, they're not good. Um, and so it's okay to take them over. And race is an underlying factor in that. Um, and it's very hypocritical because people who believe that in terms who think in terms of race typically want segregation they want to be separated you know so the the, the the complaint is almost never something that happens in the abstract the complaint is something like oh they're coming here to live and uh, they don't want that so the question is why are you taking over the country it's very it's very hypocritical you know so anybody who thinks so for example white um there's some people who think okay their country is only for their race okay if you think that then you should be against any time your country has in the past taken over somebody else's country because now you're going into somebody else's country where they already lived they're not your race you're invading their place so when that happens the other way around i don't think i think it's uh, rather um, hypocritical to not apologize for the past and I think that just makes sense. Yeah. So if you really believe that, you know, um, uh, you should have your own place as a racial group, then surely you should not be honoring ancestors um, to who have gone over to somebody else's place and, you know, um, broke up the broke up uh, broken up that situation over there. Um, another thing that's the case is um, in the last 200 years, we have this technology that allows what people from one continent to go over an entire ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and dominate militarily on other people beyond language. So your reputation is basically limited by language. Um, so when Shuz is talking about this, he's referring to a regional situation where people can talk to each other and um, they can communicate, oh, this, this, this leader is a great person. Okay. Nowadays, you have something like that, 
But think about all the people in between the actual person and you hearing about that person. So, you know, if you're complaining about such and such leader, you know, every decade there is some bad guy, right? Bad guy leader. I don't know who it is by the time we're listening to you. But you're hearing about this guy. He's supposed to be an evil leader. You've never met him. You've seen maybe a few videos of him, but even when he's talking, it's translated. So now you're relying on a translator. You're also relying on journalists or the media to pick and choose what parts to translate because they're not translating the whole two-hour speech. You're relying on the media to report on whether people are starving there or happy there or whatever. And so what do you actually know? Not very much. So this is a very different situation than what Shinz is talking about here. In any case, what you can understand is one thing. Um, America did lose the Vietnam War and other wars in which the people, the American people did not believe in the, in the worthiness of that war, but the people who, um, you know, like the, the, the Vietnamese people, they did believe in their own cause. And so that even though the Vietnamese were outmatched economically and technologically, because they believed in their own cause, they were able to eventually win. So that's, I think, a very important thing to understand when we're trying to understand what Shinzo is saying here about the importance of awe-inspiring loyalty. Or, excuse me, um, awe-inspiring authority that inspires loyalty. Okay. And the best way to inspire loyalty is to be renowned as a person of Ren, E, and uh, Ren and E, and act in a way that uses Li to enhance your charisma. Okay, so line 51.5.17 says, rather they cultivated and governed their own places. And so everyone longed for them. In other words, they did not travel about to spread their reputation. And he talks about the Duke of Zhou. The Duke of Zhou led his punitive campaign to the south and the northern states said, why did he not come here? You know, so in other words, these people wanted a change in leadership from their own leaders in favor of the guy who is all about Ren and E. Okay, line 530 talks about reviewing men of talent and skill and advancing our honors and rewards in order to encourage them and penalties and punishments to prevent them from doing wrong. So again, we've talked a lot of, we have a lot of punishments and penalties today. Let's talk about how we could do rewards today. I think simply by giving people official, um, some sort of, um, recognition, you know, the way that, the way that, um, if you look at the military, they all have their own kind of ways of um, having, giving out awards for uh, acts of valor, right? So there could be a similar thing where you do 
publicly recognize people for being good persons. And you could also do things like allowing them to wear certain things, not necessarily a medal or a ribbon, perhaps, but even, um, for example, in the Joseon, um, you weren't allowed to wear certain colors unless you were allowed to. And back then, colors were pretty, pretty rare, pretty uncommon, uh, excuse me, expensive. Okay, to extract all the dye and everything, it's not like we had, they had modern chemistry where it's easy to make different colors. So back in those days, that seems to be what made sense for them. Today, even jewels are fairly common, but maybe we could do something using jewels or certain um, insignias or symbols. Um, as long as what the government does is consistent, as long as what the government does is consistent and reflects um, realities accurately, like with the usage of language. You know, if, if you use the word just or right to refer to things that truly are right, then your words have more meaning. So if, as long as whatever symbols that you use to elevate the worthy is consistent, then you will have a lot of efficacy. Okay. Um, so around here, let's go back to the text. We have this idea of the true king. Again, the true king is using E and Ren to govern. Okay. And then that naturally instills a great deal of loyalty. Well, what about the hegemon? The hegemon is using more of incentives and using people with talent and skill, but not necessarily Ren and E and Li. And so therefore he accumulates a lot of advantage over his rivals. And so the hegemon is able to be successful, but not to the degree of the true king. Hegemon can be powerful, but the true king is both um, creates a harmonious society in addition to having power. Then on the last page, finally, we have those who barely survive. Those people follow vulgar customs and promote vulgar, vulgar people. Uh, vulgar people mean their base, low level. They think materialistically. They don't think in terms of uh, necessarily the long term. Okay, and then those who will be endangered as leaders, um, they elevate silver-tongued and crafty men, the typical salesmen, pol political types. So they're flippant and crude in establishing their own character. Now, who ends up ultimately getting destroyed in their own lifetime and not in their, uh, you know, their successors? lifetime, but who loses his country and gets ends up being killed, destroyed, those who are arrogant and violent. He is fond of using up people's lives, but he's slow in recognizing their labor's merit. And so people do not want to work for him. And he is fond of using tax revenues, but forgets about the fundamental works like agriculture. And so basically your country is definitely going to stop existing.
in your lifetime. Or simply, your own people will overthrow you when you're at this stage. Today, we're barely surviving securely or in a state of endangerment because who is elevated? Silver-tongued and crafty men and vulgar people, people don't, who don't have a sense of trustworthiness or honor, and they certainly don't have a sense of Ran, E, and Lee. So as a ruler, to summarize chapter 9, you ought to aspire to being a true king. And in order to be a true king, you need to fix your character, abide by the Tao, cultivate your Ren, your Yi, your Li, and then promote those who are Ren, Yi, and Li. Cultivate the culture, including music and ritual. And from this, people will bring forth their talents. People will specialize. There'll be order. There'll be harmony. There'll be happiness. People will be fiercely loyal to you. And so you will have both power and fame. And moreover, your people, your society, will be harmonious, moral, virtuous, and righteous. And they will do this without having to be punished. They will do this without having to be bribed. They will do this without you having to pay them. They will do it naturally. So chapter 9 covers a lot, but if you're thinking in terms of fundamentals, those would be the fundamentals there.